is uh, somebody that Walt told you last week he really respects, and uh, I think you will too, especially if you go to the meeting afterward, after church today and get to hear a little bit about uh, what he and Roberta are doing over in Japan. But like all of us, uh, he has a skeleton in his closet. In his case, it's the fact that he was in the Marine Corps. Don't hold that against him. Uh, the Lord got a hold of uh, him, and uh, he went to seminary, and in 1986, he went to Japan, and he's been there for over 30 years, and, uh, and he's been laboring hard in the fields along with some uh, Japanese co-pastors, uh, but it hasn't been all work. Somewhere along the line, he found uh, the time to uh, have nine kids, and uh, they're almost all launched. He's got one that'll be going off to college in about a year, and... Uh, and you'd think a guy who was at that stage of his life might be uh, thinking of throttling back, but he is not. I had a chance to spend some time with him last night. And his passion for Japan and his passion for uh, preaching the gospel is as bright now, if not brighter, than it was when he went over there. And, uh, and just to make a, a real close connection with our church, you all know that Sophie uh, Dittmar is over there in Japan as part of his team this summer. Sophie is actually living with Dan and his wife, Carol, so uh, there's a connection for you. Dan, come share the word with us. Let's uh, look at Isaiah 25, a great missions passage, a passage that challenge us, challenges us about the true feast and calls us to be a part of giving it out to the whole world, to eat it, drink it, and give it to the whole world. Thank you for sending Roberta to Japan to be a part of our team all these years and standing behind her. We're really grateful for you, Cornerstone, and for sending Steffi. Thank you. Is her family here? Okay. Thank you for sending your daughter to, to, to be with us in Japan. Let's uh, look at God's Word, Isaiah 25. 6 through 9. It's a missions passage. It's a passage about the feast, about our salvation. It's just a great text. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God, we have waited for him, that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let's pray again. Lord, we pray you'll come with us by your Holy Spirit. Help us. Help me. Help us as we hear this great text in your word. Uh, come, Holy Spirit. Open our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. I was on the second floor of our house in Chiba, and I heard a big commotion downstairs. We have nine children, and, uh, and we, I heard fighting and screaming, and I uh, wasn't the first time, but this was really loud. I ran downstairs, and there was my oldest son, Danny, about 15, 
and he had my fourth child, Sarah Beth, who was about eight at the time, and he was teasing her, trying to put her head in the toilet. And she was screaming bloody murder. Her daughter Martha's, or her sister Martha's trying to stop her. And, uh, and I, just, I just lost it. I got so angry. And I grabbed Dan. He said, Dad, I was just playing. Only your hair, you know. And, uh, and, I, and I did what Dr. Dobson taught in one of those books about child raising, you know. I tried to put Danny's head in the toilet, you know. No, he didn't. <laughs> Dobson didn't taste so I just lost my temper. Um, and, and there I was trying to put his head in the toilet, and, Danny, what are you doing? And he, he's, Dad, Dad, you know, I was only playing, you know, and, and he had his hands on the side of the toilet, and I'm trying to, you know, put his, just, you know, only his hair, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and the water was clean, and, uh, and he, uh, and, and right at the absolute worst time, angry father, you know, this family that came to Japan to tell the people of Tokyo Chiba, the love of Jesus Christ, you know, and, and the doorbell rings. Worst time. So I put Danny down, go toward the door, and there's a lady from our church bringing something, and, and I put my plastic pastor smile on. Anybody know about that? You know, it was just friendly. Oh, please come in. I only said it once. Japanese people won't come in unless you say it three times or looking at your eyes, do you really mean it or not, you know, and uh, I only said it once, I did not want her to come into our tension-filled house, you know, and, uh, and she, she left, left, she, she gave me what she had brought, and turned around, and there are probably six, my six oldest children looking at their father, their angry father, and it was as if they had gizensha, which means hypocrite, written across their forehead saying without saying it, Dad, you were so angry that you were so nice to that lady. What do you do? I'm sure no one here has ever lost their temper with their children. I'm sure Sophie's family say, who did we send our daughter to go? (laughs) The Lord worked in my heart. We don't train our children to be perfect children. They're not going to be. They don't have perfect parents. The Lord worked in my heart and showed me I need to repent and turn to Christ. And we held him. I I said, I'm sorry to them. Please forgive me. And we went to the cross together. And that's, that's a whole other thing about raising kids. It's really important. But that's the Christian life, isn't it? That's Luther's first... 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. That's the first of the thesis on the on Wittenberg door. The Christian life is a life of repentance, ongoing repentance, turning to Christ. And this morning, I tell you that story because your missionaries are sinners, chief of sinners. I told you, don't give me a long introduction. I want to preach. Just say, chief of sinners. He knows Jesus. He has nine kids, and let me preach. You know, <laughs> and I am, and you are too. And we need Jesus. And this morning, I I pray for you this morning. Uh, A second reason that you'll see places where you're thinking about the world, the nations, the feast. You'll see your false food. I'll share some of mine. Your junk food. That you'll say, how can I be aligned with God and his purposes for the world? That that God would help us all this morning to repent. I'll tell you a third reason later why why I told that story. So the first, this is a text about... The grace for you and me and for all the peoples 
of the earth. First, first question, who are the recipients of this grace? And the answer, verse 6 and 7, we see all peoples, all nations. This, this true feast is for all the people groups of the world, not just for Americans, not just for people of Norwegian ancestry like me, for the Japanese, the Chinese, for the some 6,000 people groups that are in the world, all peoples. Verse 26 says, 20, verse 27 says, all peoples and all nations. It uses both words. I was a missing S Christian. Went to seminary to serve Christ, go back, left the Marine Corps, uh, went to seminary, and God just rocked our world at seminary. The nations were at our dinner table. Had a missions conference, and the, the preacher for three days started it in Genesis and went all the way to Revelation, showing every tongue, every tribe, all nations, the whole earth. And at the, you know, we had missed the S of peoples. We love people, but had missed the S of all peoples, every people group. How did we miss this? The end of the three day, probably 10 hours of teaching through the whole Bible, showing this is not peripheral to the Bible. But it's central to the Bible. God's purpose ends in Revelation with the nations, his elect from every tongue and tribe, worshiping him. And Carol and I, we've been attending together for three days, and we looked at each other, how did we miss this? We're unbiblical Christians, and we're in seminary, we're reformed, we teach our kids the catechism, and we had missed this. He said, this is going to change how we live our lives. If we do go back to Maryland and start a church, it can't be like the church we've been thinking. It has to care for the whole world. It, you, know, if we, you know, maybe we should go. It's going to affect how we raise our kids, how we give our money to align our purposes with God's purposes. The, the Bible is just full of this. You know, Psalm 117.1, the shortest chapter in the Bible, it's about missions. Praise the Lord, all nations, laud him, all peoples. Isaiah 12, 4 to 5, make known his deeds among the peoples. Let this be known in all the earth. Matthew 8, 11, I love the promise for the east as well as the west. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. I gave you a bulletin outline. You have some of these verses in there. You know, Japan is this rich country, builds great cars, everything works, but it is so lost, second largest unreached people group in the world. Uh, often you think of, you know, lost country of, of its poor, but Japan is rich, and it's so lost, so in need of the gospel. My son Danny, the same Danny, came home from baseball practice when he was in sixth grade. He said, Dad, it's really weird. The coach makes us all worship the ground. What? said, we all, we all bow to the coach first. We all line up and bow to the coach. That's like a handshake in Japan. Then we all turn around and we, we bow to the ground. Dad, it's weird. It's like we're, we're, we're worshiping, you know. And I, I called a Japanese pastor who had been studying to be a Buddhist priest before he had become a Christian. And he said, yes, you know, Japan is not, it's not the creator and the creation. It's everything is creation. And it's largely superstition and secular secular pantheism now, secular Buddhism and Shintoism. But he said, yeah, your son, and of course, he can't do that. And, and we were reading the book of Daniel in family worship, and we jumped ahead to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. 
and said, uh, you know, they didn't bow. Danny, go. You know, not very much gospel motivation, just don't bow, you know. And uh, if you know what I mean by that, we sent Danny back, our little sixth grader, the only foreigner on his team, you know. <laughs> he comes home and said, Dad, I don't, I don't think I did right. Well, what did you do? He said, well, when we all bent, you know, we all bowed to the coach. That's fine. That's a handshake. But when we bowed to the ground, Dad, I'm sorry. I know I did wrong. What did you do, Danny? said, well, Dad, you know, I don't have any. I'm the only foreigner. I finally have friends. What did you do? He said, well, I flipped my baseball cap off. It fell on the ground. And when everybody bowed, I bent over and picked it up. (laughs) Very creative young man. A very creative church planner in Atlanta today. and I'll tell the story over lunch of what happened later because we sent him back. We, we jumped ahead in, in Daniel again and said, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when it came, you know, they didn't throw their, let's put our coins on the ground, and when they blow the trumpets, we'll all get down and pretend to pick them up. No, they stood there. Come on, Danny, go back. And not, again, not such gospel-motivated. We've learned a lot these years about, about what in this text about why we obey and lay down our lives. But uh, he went back and boy was it hard when he didn't bow. But God used that. I'll tell about that over, over lunch. Remind me if I forget. Uh, you know, th- this, th- Japan such a lost country. And there's all these people groups in the world like that. We, we see there's probably no country in the world, really, that has kingdom advancement like America. You know, I'm, 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 in, the, I'm in the grocery store here, ladies talking through the, the aisle, through the cereal on the other side about their Bible study. You know, everywhere I go, Christian radio, you know, uh, so many places in the world have virtually nothing. We're the first church in our suburb of Tokyo. There's no other church of any kind for 70 to 100,000 people. No other church until you, PCA, sent our team there to start a church. You know, there, there's so many places like that. History is marching toward the whole world, though, coming to know this true and living God. I, be- I believe there- there's great hope for Japan. If you-, if you have your Bibles and you look back at verse 3 of this chapter, Isaiah 25, it says, Therefore, strong peoples will honor you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. We know from the whole Bible that, it- that this gospel is for every tongue and tribe. This verse 3 gives me great hope for Japan. It says ruthless nations will come. Everybody know their history? World War II, 1905 to 1945, what Japan did to Asia, literally what Japan did to Korea, what, you know, to China. was in Singapore not too long ago. A Singaporean er, el, uh, elder in a Presbyterian church here was telling me about the brutality of Japan, the ruthlessness of Japan when the soldiers came into Singapore. He said his father had told him how they lined up all the men, had him hold their hands out. They checked their hands, anybody with smooth hands. They knew they were the leaders. They took them away, never saw them again, killed, killed them all. Japan did this kind of thing throughout Asia, you know. This, is, this was the ruth that this text, though, says ruthless nations will come. It says strong peoples will come, you know, Japanese people. This country is amazing, I'm telling you. The, the discipline, the hard work that this little nation could take over Korea, China, Philippines, Taiwan, you know, Malaysia, Singapore, you know, even attacked Australia, this little country. 
the, the Japanese are extremely strong and capable today. We see it in how they build their cars. I've never had a Coke machine, uh, a drink machine that didn't work in Japan. Everything works perfect. It's almost disgusting. Why does everything work? They don't make any mistakes. I was in my 20th year uh, going to, up to Hokkaido, the northern island, to a church planning conference when I finally, a machine didn't work. I put my money in the, the, uh, the train ticket machine and it didn't work. I was like, yay, finally, you know, something in Japan didn't work. The Japanese pastor with me said, Dan, you did it wrong. They're different up here. You know, <laughs> you know that's Japan. The flip side of that, behind that drivenness to do everything perfect is part of why the suicide rate and the, the hikikomori, the the kids refusing to leave the house in epidemic proportions just shut down emotionally. It's a, need, it's a country in desperate need of the gospel, but the promise is every tongue, every tribe. Thank you for being a part of that with us for Japan by your giving, by your praying, by sending your daughter, the daughter of your church, by supporting Roberta. Would more of you come help us? Retired people, sometimes we have two weeks, we need to go to a conference. We shut down the English program. We have all these non-Christians coming. Maybe some of you could come and fill in for two weeks uh, when, we, when we have a need like that so we don't have to stop doing it or everyone double up and work triple time to get stuff done. Okay, the motivation to be a part of what God's doing in the world. This text is great. The second thing, the blessings that come, the blessings of this grace. First, this, this feast that it talks about in verse 6, this satisfying lavish feast that, you know, he gives us the true bread. Verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of well-aged wine, well-refined. My son Joel owns Monday Night Brewing in uh, Atlanta. Can I say that in this church? You know, uh, <laughs> and uh, when I preached on this text, and he was at the service in a church down there. He said, Dad, why didn't you talk about our company? You could have given us a, from the Bible a good little... Uh, uh, I said, it's not the point. This text isn't to decide about drinking or not drinking or wine or beer. What's the point of this text? All through the Bible, as we have our physical needs to satisfy our hunger, the Bible talks about the hunger of our soul, right? For the true food, the true bread... That's what this is about. And it says it's rich, it's lavish, it's a feast, it's good wine. Yet you and I know, all of us know today, our tendency is to go after other bread, right? Other than Christ, other than the true and living bread. And, and, the, and the other things, the other false bread, the junk food, it's addictive. It's like Narnia, what's his name, who wanted to go after the Turkish delight? Edmund, how the, how's that working for you, Edmund? Just a little more and you'll be satisfied, right? Is that, does it work? No, and we know that. Directly sinful things, you know your struggles. How's that working for you? Do they satisfy? I know, you know. They don't. It's so temporary. But even the good things we go for, you know, money's not evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. Our possessions, we think the house a little bigger, nicer, then I'll be happy and fulfilled. Well, America, Japan, how's that working for you, you know? Success, that's my 
idol very much. You know, if I'm successful, if I have the praise of men, you know, relationships, looks, sports, our kids find our identity in our kids, how well they do. They make us look good. Well, I know about that one too. Jesus says, don't work for the food that spoils, John 6, 27, but for the food that endures to eternal life. Aren't we prone to work for the food that spoils? Aren't you? What are your, what's your junk food that you go after? Maybe, maybe things that are good on the surface. In Psalm 63, David says, my soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. God, your steadfast love is better than life. I love that Psalm 63. His steadfast love is better than life itself. This is the promise that we look forward to that heavenly feast. You know, and and not perfectly. We'll never be fully, perfectly satisfied in this life because we're sinners and we're in a broken, fallen world. But even in worship today, we want to leave with a taste and thinking, you know, a, a good taste, but longing for heaven. Longing for that day when we'll eat the true feast. There's substantial healing in this, in this life. Isaiah 55 verse 2 asks the question, Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your labor for what does not satisfy? I love these two verses. I, I remember I was a, a Marine captain driving back to Camp Lejeune. Carol was asleep. The kids are asleep. And I'm driving back to Camp Lejeune from vacation. Christian radio came on. And this was the text. It's the first time it came into my heart. Isaiah 55, 1 and 2. Why do you spend, Dan Iverson, why do you spend money, effort, your life, all this for what isn't true bread? And the the Lord really, why do I? Why do we do that? Because we're stupid. We know it doesn't satisfy, right? And we're sinful. This is our bent. There's substantial healing again in the gospel as we come to Christ. And the Spirit works in our heart as we learn Jesus is the only true food. And we need to repent again and turn to Him. I told you there was a third reason I told you that toilet story, Danny's head in the toilet. Because my junk food motive was a reason I lost my temper. Because I was working upstairs. I was working hard upstairs. I was under probably pressure of deadlines, you know, and my kids got in my way. That was the root sin behind my anger. And we got to look for the root, you know, what's behind. I was so angry, bigger sin, way bigger sin than Danny's, if it was even a sin, he was playing. I think it was a sin, you know, but, but mine because there's this, this idolatry of, of trying to be successful that's deep in me. And, and my wife and I, even these last two years at 64 and 63, missionaries in Japan, 33 years, raised in state. Is this state? Y'all take For Carol and me, we see to find our identity in our kids. It's one of our big idols that they make us look good, and, and we've, we've known that a while, but we've come to see it more the last couple of years, how we hurt our children with that. Had to go to our kids. It's really hard. We began to see this a couple years ago that we really have a generational sin of success, success idols and healthy Christian family. It's a good thing. They're good things, both of ministry in Japan, raising kids who know Christ and serve Christ. 
And we saw these weak kids. We hurt you many times. Had to go to them, each one of them, and as a family, and say, sorry, please forgive us where we hurt you. But what was behind that? This false food, the wrong bread. Right? Make sense? What's your junk food? There's a real feast, friends. There's a true feast, and it really satisfies. We want to taste it today. We have the Lord's Supper. It's not just the Lord's Supper. It's not only about forgiveness of sins. It's we remember Jesus is the true bread, the true wine. But a second grace we see in this passage is the clear vision. There's God opens our eyes to see. This, there's this veil that's covering our eyes. We think all that junk food is the true feast, right? But in the Holy Spirit uses the gospel and, and takes away the veil. He will swallow up, verse 7, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, it talks about the God of this world. He's blinded the minds, you know. People, people just can't see it. A lady drug her 17-year-old son into my office. She said, I've been to the Buddhist priest. I've been to the Shinto priest. They couldn't help me. He was a perfectly normal son. The, the, the boy looked. He, could, he looked like a scared animal. It was so sad. He just kind of dark over in the corner, 17-year-old boy. He'd been a perfectly normal kid. They turned the screws up on him for perfect perfection, hard work. They sent him to a kindergarten far away because the best kindergarten in the Tokyo area. They sent him to the best elementary school. She said, we did this, we did that, we gave him everything. Junior high, he was number one in his class. Sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade. Last year, he was, he was number two. And this year, he just shut down emotionally. Just, he will not go out of his room. I had to make him come here today. We take his food to his room. It was, it was pretty clear to me what was going on here. It was this mother. Did you think she loved her son? I believe she loved her son, but the veil, the, the covering over her eyes was so, she had bought into Japan Incorporated idea that this is what you do, push them, push them, give them all these things, not biblical diligence like we need to teach our children, but this wrong, this, this fanaticism of comparing your identity as in how you perform this poor kid. Finally, he just crashed emotionally, and he, he just couldn't do anything. He wouldn't even leave his room, have to take the food to his room. More than some say two million kids like this, the only country in the world has this word, hikikomori, pulled back under the cloud. It's so sad, but it's so exciting to see another family whose daughter was one of the hikikomori kids, and the mother didn't want any people to know, but she had some idea that Christians are gracious, and she knew her next-door neighbor was a Christian. And Mrs. Iwata went next door crying about her daughter, who was hikikomori kid, Mrs. Iwata Long story short, my wife was in that Bible study too. She came to eat the true bread, the true feast of Jesus. She changed. Her husband started coming once in a while to, to worship. Her husband, same story. His whole identity was in his work, was in being successful samurai, samurai, you know? And he came and he says that he's in the Thursday morning Bible study, men's group, I'm in. 
at McDonald's and run the train station, one hour men's group, 6.30 to 7.30, they hop on the train, 6.35, you know. He says, I've never had friends like this, people that I can, I can, I can talk to and share. We always have to pretend that we have it together perfectly. Isn't that sad? Sometimes we do that too, don't we? We, we need to... We're chief of sinners. We need the true feast. But the, the, the veil was taken off his eyes. I'd love to hear his wife tell about what a, their marriage, completely different than their first 30 years of marriage. Because the veil was taken away. They believed the gospel and trusted in Jesus, you know. How's your vision? Do you see the true feast? Do you see your false bread you go after, you know? Third, eternal life. This verse 8 says, He will swallow up death forever. The Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. This is a promise of heaven. This, this grace affects us. We, we don't have to live for now. Like Piper says, why don't we care about the whole world and why don't our stuff really belong to God? You know, because we think we're trying to make this America, called, this, this Disneyland called America, Piper calls it, you know, John Piper and it's true, we, we, are, we think these things are going to satisfy. We, we don't long for heaven like we should. I, I met a young man, 25-year-old guy from Rwanda. His story just broke my heart. It'll break your heart too. He saw the, the tribe, the other tribe, come into his village. He saw his father killed with a machete in front of his eyes, a five-year-old boy. Can you imagine? He fled into the jungle with everybody else running out of the village, just followed the people speaking his language, and he, they ended up in Congo. Can you imagine? From Rwanda to Congo. And he was there. I said, how did you live? Did you beg, steal? Yep. Those and other stuff, stole, beg. People took care, helped him. When this, he heard his people group migrating back to Rwanda two years later, he found out that his mother had, had died of sickness. She had fled the other way through the jungle. Little five-year-old boy, five to seven. And he's telling me his story. You know, he's here studying at seminary. 25-year-old young man who had the joy of the Lord. Why? How? Do you think he has scars in his heart and struggles from this past? I would think so. But again, the word Francis Schaeffer uses substantial healing and sanctification and, and the scars and struggles we have, whatever they are, there were substantial healing in the gospel. He was studying to go back to his people group to preach the gospel. This, this guy had the hope of eternal life, and he had joy. None of, probably none of us here have gone through something quite like that. This, this, this is the grace God gives us, this hope, no more tears. Looking to heaven affects how we live now, what we do with our stuff now. Affects your mission giving now. Full salvation. Verse 9, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Two times salvation is used. Folks, can you save yourself? Can you rescue yourself? Anybody here? Rescue yourself? Just think of the things I've talked about already. Our sin is ever before us. We need our great Savior, Jesus. There is no other hope. We need to be rescued. Do you know the story of Jessica Buchanan? Her rescue? She was captured by Somalia land pirates. Is it three years ago or three and a half years ago? And... Uh, she had, she had lost all hope. 90 days, 
They were demanding $40 million. And they moved her every two days so one of the other bad groups couldn't get her and, and try to get the, the ransom. And she had given up all hope. This was a picture from one of the Proof of Life videos. American young lady, volunteer worker in Somalia. And she was at the end of a rope, pitch black, dark night. And the guys are around her like usually, abused her. It was awful. Oh, she couldn't tell the story for a couple of years, you know. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, all chaos breaks loose, gunfire. And she, she gets down, you know, as low as she can on her little, the only thing to her name, her mat that she slept on every night in the Somalia desert. And she, and she, you know, she, oh no, and she, and one of the other groups has come, I can't go through this again. And she just, just absolutely just in despair, even more than she had been. And all of a sudden she feels a man's hand on her back and she's fighting, you know, and then she hears in perfect American English, Jessica Buchanan, we're taking you home. She looks up, and there's the SEAL Team 6 guy. They came from very far away to rescue her. And she said, who are you? How did you get here? No. <laughs> she said, how do I know you can get me out of here? Do you think she said that? She said, I got this. I got this. I can save myself. Think she said that? SEAL Team 6 guy threw her on his back, ran through the desert toward the extraction point, she tells the story. Go online. You find it. That's a great story. And she and so many, so many things that we think of how we have been rescued in this story. The guys, SEAL Team 6, people, she had no clue who they were. They, at one point, they thought things looked bad, dangerous. They formed a perimeter around her. She said, three guys put their bodies across the top of mine to protect me. These guys, I had no idea. Who are these guys, you know? Said, and she said this. I thought of John 10 when she says this. They called me by name. They called me by name, <laughs> you know? She got to the helicopter, and she said, helicopter pilot, how long have you been flying helicopters? Do you think she said that? <laughs> you know, friends, she could not save herself. We cannot save her, ourselves. But Jesus came from further away and has rescued us from death by his death on the cross. It's by grace alone that we're saved through him. Friends, how do we respond to this grace? You know, in uh, verse 9 it says, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. You know, there are two things here we see. Trust the, the NIV translates this, trust in him. The ESV translates it, wait for him. The point is we're looking to the Lord. We're looking to one outside ourselves to save us and to lead us and to guide us. We, we say that today. You know, we, you know, Jessica Buchanan didn't say to that seal as they're taking her, it's just kind of a hard road. Don't you think we should go on that road? She didn't say that. She knew these guys know what they're doing. Our rescuer Sometimes it's rough. We go through hard things. We know he knows the way and he's going to lead us. And, and, the, and the other response we see here is gladness and joy. You know, that, that, that even this illustration, to hitchhike on that illustration, one more, one more point. 
Jessica Buchanan, as SEAL Team 6 guy, is running through the Somalia desert, taking her to the helicopter pretty far away. Her pain had not changed. The physical pain from her abuse and sickness that she had had not changed one iota. I want to ask everyone here, do you think she was full of joy? She was so full of joy because of her rescue, right? And see, we, in our pain and the struggles of life in this fallen world, yes, we can have this joy that this text talks about because we've been rescued. And we come to the Lord and we say, Lord, what do you want me to do in response to this? How can I serve you in this world? For my wife and for me, our biggest obstacle to say, no way we're going to Japan. Oh, when we started hearing this mission stuff, that three days I told you about, we said, we can't do this. God gave us these kids, all these kids, you know. 30 years later, we will tell you, and our kids will tell you, the safest, best, most joyful place to be is where? Where our gracious, loving Lord leads us, whether it's Japan or an unreached people group or here, California, Maryland, to serve him. Where, where he leads you is the greatest joy. In closing, a friend of mine, a PCA pastor, told this story about the son-in-law who was going to marry his daughter. He came to him and he asked permission and he, he said, he's a great, godly young man. He said, but let me tell you, you better take care of my daughter or you and I are going to have a hard time. Of course, I'm, I've married two of my daughters, and I know off to it. I know about this. And they got married. The son-in-law came back to Ray and said, uh, "Dad, we believe God's calling us to the worst part of Orlando to do inner-city ministries. Dangerous, uh, you know. We're pregnant. That your grandkids are going to be raised in a really hard, bad place. Do you?" You know that what you told me about? Take care of my daughter or you're going to have a hard time with me. And think of the father-in-law. I have a daughter. I can identify with this story. And Ray, his first emotions were, you know, oh, what are you doing to my daughter? And then he, he started to think biblically, like from this text. And his answer, as he thought for another 30 seconds, this was his answer. And it's the right answer. It's the answer that, that all of us need to make as God leads us and leads our kids. He said, if God is leading you there and you don't take our daughter and go there to that hard place to serve, I will have a problem with you. <laughs> right? That's where the greatest, the true joy is where God leads us with our giving with our praying, with our going, and as we send our kids to be a part of what God's doing in the world. Let's pray. Lord, we do praise your name. We thank you for this gospel that just brings true joy, the true food, the true feast. Oh God, as, even as we have communion, may we think that Jesus is the true bread. Help us to repent of the junk food we eat. Help us to lay down our lives before you for the sake of this feast going throughout Maryland and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen.